Hey everybody, we got a brand new swag shop. It's powered by Fourth Wall and it's really great. It's at eplex.store. That's E P L E X dot store. Hopefully, you find something there you like. I'm partial to the one with Jordan Peterson and Jesus. I want to enlist you to be part of the solution. Yeah, that's why we're here. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their presses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I got everything I need. I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee Just like my straight white male dad did to me So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need I've got a pile of broken mirrors And I'm walking under ladders And I'm spilling tons of salt But to me that doesn't matter Cause my skin and my gender and my orientation Are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hey everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do this show live every Wednesday, usually at 7 p.m. Pacific, but the heat wave has caused us to push this back to 9 p.m. Pacific. And no, HK, you cannot actually air condition a two-car garage. Oh, geez. Uh, I couldn't imagine being there right now. <laughs> That's fine. The fucking door's open. There's fans. It's it's not too, too bad. Anyway, before we get started um, tonight, if you were, I know it's September and you want to support the the stream and stuff, but uh, Ina from Polite Conversations had what I would call a uh, serious family emergency. And um, if you just type bang polite in the chat, you'll get information from her GoFundMe. I don't want to tell you what happened because it's not my place to do that. Um, and we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Uh, the first episode of the Intellectual Dollar Tree was a conversation that Ina had with Sam Harris. And um, I was just about to have her on for an interview, and then apparently uh, this went down, and she had to cancel. So uh, she just put out a pod today about what happened, and she shared a little bit on Twitter about it. So yeah, if you have a few bucks, definitely uh, send them her way. Her and her family could certainly use it. So that's it for me. I'm Gay Dave, and you can find me on Grinder. And I am HK Perrin. You can find me on Twitter at HK Perrin. Uh, and you can find me right here on Twitch on uh, the IDT, obviously. And on my own uh, gaming channel called Silfweed. And if you're talking to someone in the chat named Silfweed, that's me. 
Great. So sometimes we go a little off the beaten path on this show, and I thought this was a real good one. This kind of came across my feeds again because there was a documentary about it that someone was talking about. We're obviously not going to watch the documentary about it. In 1968, before the Democratic National Convention, Gore Vidal debated William F. Buckley, and it was a fucking shit show. And uh, we're going to watch that. It's it's real interesting. 1968 was a really important year in American politics, especially for the Democratic Party. There was a lot going on, and this is a, a good this is a good watch. And we can sort of we'll be able to see parallels, especially in what Buckley is saying, with what some of the I intellectual dark web people are saying, and with Gore Vidal, we'll yeah. see sort of parallels, basically, with some of the criticisms that are leveled at the uh, intellectual dark web people. So. Um, if, we're definitely rooting for Gore Vidal here. Our guest commentators, William Buckley and Gore, are with us in Chicago after their successful oh, Max Headroom? as convention commentators in Miami Beach. William Buckley, conservative commentator, columnist, and editor of the National Review on the defensive in Miami, may now take the offensive, but I beg to put the first question to Gore Vidal, author, playwright, increasingly also a commentator. Mr. Vidal, do you feel more comfortable philosophically here than you did in Miami? Philosophically? I wonder if that word will ever be used again in, uh, while we're here in Chicago. I feel more at home in a way. The Miami Beach was a sandbar with a drawbridge and a rather homogenized convention. This place is, uh, as Mr. Buckley proposes, a shambles. It's a police state. One's aware of the horrors of the world here, the smell of old blood, the shrieking of the pigs as they're slaughtered in the morning. All this reminds one of, of life and death. And I think the conversations that are going on now about Vietnam to me seem to be uh, particularly urgent and uh, philosophically two sides are being pretty well represented the camera guy is drunk I, think, uh, I feel i do feel home in a way but not happy mr buckley what do you think will be the main weaknesses the democrats will display here in convention assembled i think that the principal weakness of the party uh, at this point uh, is uh, the collision between its uh, ideology and the practical consequences of its ideology. In other words, if uh, they have been able to show to uh, uh, America that in return for having elected a Democratic president four years ago and a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House, something was done to greatly speed America uh, along uh, its way uh, to to help America achieve stability uh, and a sense of security, then there would have been a different attitude here uh, among the Democrats. Primarily, I think what's bugging them is that they don't really know what to do. And under the circumstances are clutching, as so many people do under the circumstances, at ideological straws. So just for anybody who doesn't know, there were massive protests at the 1968 Democratic National Committee. Just massive protests. So that's what this guy's talking about. Um, but he's claiming that it's like the ideolo- their ideology doesn't match with reality, and that's why the thing's a shit show. But that's not the case. Um, the, anybody, I'm, not, I'm not prepared to go over all of the turmoil, or even any of it really, at the 1968 Democratic National Committee, because I did not do that kind of preparation. Anybody can look that up, though. It was, there was a lot going on. 
And uh, this guy's going to try to take advantage of it in this debate. And I don't think he's going to do a very good job of it because Gore Vidal is uh, smart. The effect you mentioned the check crisis a while ago what effect do you think the check crisis is going to have on the two parties well it ought i should think to have uh, at least this effect to convince us that uh, the romantic politics of convergence uh, the politics that presuppose that the cold war as senator mccarthy put it last april is quote over uh, are uh, as I say, politics of romance, that the real world isn't behaving according to that particular paradigm, and that under the circumstances, the leadership which presupposed uh, the separatism of the satellite states uh, is a leadership that made certain false assumptions uh, of critical strategic consideration. I should think that those who uh, view the disaster in Czechoslovakia uh, wonder whether or not the Democratic Party has in fact achieved a foreign policy uh, which has aided the humanitarian impulses uh, of, the, uh, of the, the liberalizing forces behind the Iron Curtain. Mr. Vidal? Well, in actual fact, there's nothing that the Democratic Party can do about the Czechoslovakian affair any more than there's anything the Republican Party can do about it. Great empires uh, behave badly. I think you could equate, if you wanted to, the uh, Soviet intrusion into the affairs of Czechoslovakia with our own caper in the Dominican Republic when we moved in there against a government, uh, a possible government of which we thought we might disapprove and didn't want it so close to home. Empires behave this way, they behave very badly. I don't think anybody's happy about what's happening in Czechoslovakia, but the Democrats can do no more about this than the Republicans could do anything about Hungary, despite John Forster Dulles's great talks about opening wide his arms for all defectors from the East. The one good aspect of the Czechoslovakian thing has been, in the last five days, the defection of the French and the Communist uh, parties from Moscow, and I suspect this, in the long run, is a good deal more important than the sad affairs of one country. Uh, it seems to me that the, uh, the attempt to uh, equate what we did in the Dominican Republic and what the Soviet Union has just finished doing to Czechoslovakia is at least uh, depraved. Uh, depraved? Like we went and fucking meddled in somebody else's affairs and it's depraved to compare it to some the Soviet Union going and meddling in somebody else's affairs. After all, the first one was us. <laughs> I mean, do you, have you met us? Hello, it was us. Like, I don't know enough. I don't know that much about the individual conflicts, but I know that like by this time, the U.S. was very, very much so meddling in the affairs of the South Americans, like very, very much so mm -hmm. in much the same way that the, the, the USSR was invading. And I'm sorry, like intervening in the affairs of Eastern Europe that we were doing the same fucking thing. Yeah, well, a lot of what we were doing was covert because it was the CIA. Yeah, but that's actually we weren't as open about it, right? That's actually a fairly good comparison, and he's just like, "Oh, that's depraved." That's the, how dare you, sir? That this guy's stance is going to be, uh, "How dare you, sir?" And then Gore Vidal is going to like give examples of and tell you why he believes what he believes. That this guy, "How dare you, sir?" <laughs> you like want a, me to change my lights red? Like you got them? Um, you can sure. Okay. I mean, it is after nine. Uh, it uh, takes not into consideration at all the entire history of America's intervention in foreign countries during the past 20, 25 years. 
Uh, we have occupied, uh, mostly on liberating missions, 18 to 20 countries, each one of which we have subsequently withdrawn from. Uh, in many cases, we have withdrawn from countries that have asked us to annex them. Uh, on the contrary, the Soviet Union has... Yeah, that's right. We fucking went, we went and fucked with, what was it, El Salvador, did he say? I forget what it was. But they actually, like, you know, could you actually annex us? Could you colonize us, please? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> These places, after we fucked up their shit, weren't begging to become part of America. Shut the fuck up. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Czechoslovakia, which we instantly set up in the Dominican Republic. Well, that's Dominican Republic. Mind, uh, the, the, the uneasy uh, and self-serving attempt to excuse uh, ourselves by pointing out the Dominican Republic. The fact is that the Democratic Party in 1964 uh, issued a campaign platform, a phrase uh, in which committed the Democratic Party to, quote, encourage by all peaceful means the growing independence of the captive peoples living under communism and citing Czechoslovakia exactly. What have we, in fact, done to uh, uh, encourage them? Uh, another platform plaque said we pledge unflagging devotion to our commitments to freedom from Berlin to South Vietnam. Well, it certainly isn't. He's un- doing a thing that people do to, do to me now, too. He's like, defend this thing the Democratic Party did. I'm like, and, and like the answer is I am to the left of the Democratic Party. <laughs> and in this time, Gore Vidal was to the left of the Democratic Party. He certainly didn't agree with everything the Democratic Party was doing. Yeah. And so also like he's like leaning in on this Czechoslovakia now known as the Czech Republic. And Vidal already answered his question. He was like, we can't. What are we going to do about it? There's another empire over there doing shit because the, the, the to do something about it at this time, especially in 1968, would have been to start World War Three. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm in total agreement with him. Like we couldn't do anything about it. Just like it's hard for us to really do anything about Ukraine right now because to do so might start World War 3. Yeah, we certainly can't do anything directly. Uh We're doing the best we can like financially. That's all we could do. Not for nothing like not for nothing there, and I don't want to get too far off topic because I complain at you when you do it, but that's happening over in China's neighborhood, and they're supposed to be like our trading partner. Maybe they should fucking clean up the mess in their fucking neighborhood. <laughs> uh, uh, is it? And finally, they say uh, that they wanted to do everything to, quote, speed the restoration of freedom and responsibility in Cuba. Now, if in fact America can't uh, dev- uh, devise a foreign policy that seeks to affect those goals, why do they bother to uh, uh, create the rhetoric? And why don't people like Mr. criticize it at the time? I think that's an awfully good question. Why do we continually, in both parties, maintain an impossible rhetoric which we cannot live up to? We have not the means, we have not the power, we have not the will to uh, free Eastern Europe from the Soviet anymore. Oh, and anybody who doesn't know, part of the backdrop of this is Gore Vidal was one of very few like openly gay people in the media at this time. So just to, I didn't mention that at the beginning and that, that becomes a thing towards the end. Hopefully has the will to free certain of our client states from us. So I think it's, uh, the rhetoric, I'm happy to see you're doing your homework, Bill, that you quote from the platform of the Democrats (laughs) 
if I, I have lost my John Foster Dulles file, but it has absolutely reflection of all the things that Dulles was saying for, for, since 1954 about containment, and all of that uh, is, I think, uh, I quite agree, is totally irrelevant rhetoric, and I wish we'd stop it. Well, it was, it was a Democratic president, and I think we should give uh, Democratic presidents their due on those occasions when they earn it. Uh, that uh, uh, faced his uh, fist in the direction of the communist world after the crisis. I swear that guy is being beamed up right now. But this country is not going to give way to international blackmail, and it is precisely the willingness of Republicans and Democrats. The lighting's pretty bad on him, yeah. Cor Vidal being a stylish sort was like, oh shit, could you point that light at him instead? <laughs> <laughs> it clashes with my tie. <laughs> that has contributed to what security is now enjoyed by such nations of the world as claim any country. Then may I, may, may I take it, would you indeed like us to go to war over Czechoslovakia? <laughs> the point is that there wouldn't have been a Czechoslovakian crisis if I had been consulted 25 years ago, Mr. Bell. <laughs> what the fuck? That's Weinsteinian, right? Like, that's Eric and Brett <laughs> yes. Weinstein. If they would have consulted me, none of this would have happened. If they would have asked me, I could have solved the entire world's problems. Fucking the complete. End. That's so Weinsteinian, right? They think he thinks he's gonna solve all the problems, but the answer to like that was the obvious like the the, the path this guy was going down on Czechoslovakia, now known as the Czech Republic, is the path he was going down is the obvious question is like, well, what do we do? Do we do we get a war? And he's just not gonna answer it. He's like, oh, I would have solved this twenty five years ago. Probably yeah, it's like, what would you do now, though? Right, like, but 25 it's not 25 years ago. It's prob- now. He probably would have just nuked the Soviet Union right after World War II. He'd have been like, well, we already nuked somebody. Fuck it. <laughs> but we're consulting you now, The statesmanship is to abort crisis. You specialize in, in looking crises in the face and saying irrelevant things about how impossible it is to do anything about The Republicans specialize in avoiding crisis. Oh, they do indeed. Yeah. Often by, yes, by, by avoiding crisis. Have you noticed but that we haven't had any major wars when the Republicans are in? Well, but... Uh, or, or have you not done your homework? If I may say so, no thanks to you, because you, after all, favor the invasion of Cuba, which I understand is still no, a basic... Uh, Cuba would not have... Line. Well, the invasion of Cuba, which was undertaken by a Democratic administration, uh, was unfortunately, like the defense of Vietnam, something that was done halfway, i.e. it was unsuccessful. I, still, I don't believe in days of I, Oh, you don't? Well, right. because they're failures. I must That's say, right. I don't see any reason why you're not a Democrat, because there are many Democrats who enormously agree with you. There's a marvelous quotation of Hubert Humphrey in Saigon, 31st of October, 1967. This is our great adventure, and a wonderful one it is. Now, that uh, general idea plus the desire to contain Cuba, yes, but I think, and in yeah. your case by force of arms, in our case by, I must say, the Democrats on one occasion with the Bay of Pigs said that they believed in the policy of intervening militarily in the affairs of other countries. I happen to think that that is an immoral and bad idea, and that has been the general line of Eugene McCarthy and now Senator McGovern. Well, this, yes. to me, is the great debate of this convention. It will certainly all stop by Monday, but it at is least no doubt. Uh, we yes. should get to it. It is no doubt a debate, and it is certainly one considered in which there are differences uh, in ranks of both parties. But I do think that Senator McCarthy did himself lasting damage by his total insouciance 
to what happened in Czechoslovakia. Oh, said he, if I had been president, I'd have had a couple of extra uh, glasses of iced tea uh, and thought about it tomorrow. Really, there was no particular crisis. The crisis of Czechoslovakia precisely uh, is the falling apart of, of the democratic aspiration of the politics of convergence. It shows that the Soviet Union is still there, still cares naught for world opinion, and is still going to press uh, for its old recidivist imperialism. But I think it's safe to say that they are behaving as... Is he complaining that, like, the Democrats didn't destroy the Soviet Union? I think that might be what he was complaining about. I just, I just don't like, know. What, because What could have been done? I mean, you gotta ask him 25 years ago, he said, we, he'd say, well, we still have nukes left, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it... If he had had his way, it probably would have made things much worse. So far as I could tell, yeah, because we'd have been on right now. At this point, the country would be at war in Cuba and the Czech Republic, right? <laughs> yeah. To expect a moratorium on stupidity on the part of empires. I would say that Senator McCarthy, I wish he'd put the thing more tactfully, but one of the rather nice things about him is his sometimes cruel accuracy. Since the president was not about to launch an invasion or an attack upon the Soviet, he said, why go to all this um, melodrama when indeed we were no, not going to do anything? The reason why, oh, you like the melodrama. The, the reason why, Mr. Dial, is because there is among decent men uh, uh, a tradition that dates back to the Declaration of Independence uh, in which the people who founded this country say that we have a concern for the decent opinion of mankind and the decent opinion of mankind should have been mobilized five minutes after the Czechoslovakian thing. To Wait a minute. No, no, no. But the fucking, at the founding of this country, they didn't even have a standing army so we would have been in less of a fucking position to do something on the other side of the world <laughs> like what like this is the same this fucking this, this nothing ever changes it's like this this calling back to the founding fathers as if they'd agree with you full they're dead and they like had to like shit in an outhouse they don't know anything about your life or the modern world <laughs> like if they were lucky they yeah. had a, they had a nice set of wooden teeth dude come on <laughs> nothing wrong with that i'm well, they, i mean they did a bunch of bad shit but like the just being of their time there was nothing like what i hate this shit to use whatever means are at our disposal to create pressure on the soviet union now if you think that the soviet, if you think that we are not in a position to damage the soviet union you know less about international politics than even i supposed than even you the, know, the point of fact is that the soviet union for instance is constantly running out of things like wheat and we make it possible, we in Canada and Australia, for them to have wheat. Now, uh, if, as a matter of fact, it, they've had an extremely good harvest and uh, are on rather secure ground. Plus, our, we, I said, we, we, we have lost the opinion, if you're talking about good opinion, of all decent men. We have lost the good opinion of no. all decent men no. in Europe, most of our traditional allies, of Canada who are selling wheat to our enemy. Uh, we have about would, 20 seconds. So having well, lost, I, I, to, to begin with, we I, have I lost in Vietnam, and now you want us to regain uh, it by going to war in Czechoslovakia. And it is also true uh, that some people lose respect for you precisely at the moment when you should be earning I'm their respect. I'm terribly sorry that I have to interrupt you, but we'll continue tomorrow night, and I hope we... And that's the end of... ...the Democratic platform. At this point... That's the end of part one. Here's part two, part one. It's weird.
The main source of contention on the floor of the convention tonight is the Vietnam plank of the newly published Democratic platform. I would like to ask our guest commentators if they can find any serious differences between what the Republicans said about Vietnam and what the Democrats say about it. To, uh, to my mind, I see very... Well, they're going to find some serious differences between each other later on. Uh, our guests are the playwright Gore Vidal, a Democrat, a former uh, candidate for Congress from New York State, and William Buckley, editor, and a former candidate for mayor of New York City. Mr. Buckley, will you begin? I think that the important difference of uh, uh, Mr. Smith is not... Not for nothing, calling Vidal a playwright would have been like call in, Mar- in Mark Twain's time calling him like a like a poet or some shit like mark twain was like an important political commentator of his time and like to like i don't know that i just noticed that but then they didn't really say anything about this guy being important either maybe that maybe the fucking hosts don't like either of them i don't know the planks uh they fixed the lighting in this one and he actually looks human this time they didn't fix the audio uh, It's, it's still just the left channel but whatever the Democrats uh, a great many. It's like he's no longer glowing. Uh, with the plank insofar as it doesn't call immediately for an unconditional end uh, in bombing. We know that uh, Mr. McGovern and Mr. McCarthy joined forces to demand nothing less than that, the unconditional end bombing. There were no equivalent forces in the Republican Party. So that, although they ended up saying roughly the same thing, one is entitled to suppose that in the case of the Republicans, this truly represents the sentiment of the overwhelming majority of them, which is not the case concerning the Democrats. I think that's well observed. Um, There's a definite split here tonight. Uh, I personally favored, as many people did, the McCarthy-McGovern plank. I was just told the latest hot rumor here at the convention hall that the plank was given to Lyndon B. Johnson himself, who rewrote it and sent it back, and that is the one that they are now celebrating down on the floor. We were just given bits and pieces of this platform, and my favorite little bit here is, we strongly support the Paris talks and applaud the initiative of President Johnson which brought North Vietnam to the peace table. Well, of course, it was Senator McCarthy in New Hampshire and the enormous movement of a great many people in the United States that caused our leader to make that uh, diplomatic gesture. So I would say that the difference between uh, the two uh, platforms is, as Mr. Buckley suggests, uh, the Republicans are pretty united uh, in being not only on the one hand hawkish, but on the other hand, they seem to feel that they're open for negotiation, trying to relive, I suppose, the days of the Korean uh, settlement by General Eisenhower, who talked very tough in the campaign, and then, of course, made a peace with Korea. Uh, I suspect that may well be the Nixon plan. Meanwhile, you have a very divided Democratic Party here tonight. What can the Republicans do that the Democrats can't if Nixon is elected, Mr. Buckley? Well, if, uh, if Nixon uh, is elected, it seems to me that... Sorry Uh-oh. about that, everybody. It's just the, uh, the old uh, video. ...strategic seriousness of our anti-communist position there. That is to say that he won't be uh, hampered by a divided party, uh, some of which, perhaps even a majority of which, uh, is bitterly opposed, as Mr. Vidal uh, quite correctly suggests to this policy. I do think, though that Mr. Dahl's diagnosis uh, is insufficient 
primarily for the reason that he doesn't take into account extrinsic circumstances. For instance, Eisenhower's uh, piece on Korea may very well, as Democratic Chairman Paul Butler pointed out at the time, have also had something to do with the death of Stalin, which conveniently took place two or three months after uh, Eisenhower's election. But also, uh, one has to bear in mind that, that there have been such sentimentalities as calling for a coalition government, as calling for sending blood to the Viet Cong, uh, all that kind of business, which have considerably hampered uh, the negotiations which might otherwise have taken place more speedily. Well, I think... Uh, Mr. Buckley has given us a preview of what we will hear from the Republicans on this subject. I'd like to introduce a note that absolutely nobody has so far in the Vietnam debate, and that is that I happen to favor sort of diplomacy in the grand old style, and I'm sure Mr. Buckley will agree with me, since he too is a lover of the Congress of Vienna and Metternich policy, that we should, since Ho Chi Minh is the enemy of Mao Zedong, therefore we should support Ho Chi Minh. Mao Zedong is the enemy of the Kremlin. Therefore, in certain cases, we should support him. And the Kremlin is, of course, the enemy of Mao Zedong, and we should support them. Now, this is grand politics. This is not ideological. It's not as interesting as the Holy War, as the fascinating war that we must, we are the forces of light and we must destroy all other governments. But it has always been traditional in the conduct of foreign policy until the pietisms of John Foster Dulles who really did believe, at least as far as we can tell, that we were indeed the forces of light and they were night, that we began forcing our way into the world and forever setting up this pietistic view that governments that we disapproved of should be dealt with harshly. So I'm simply saying to the extent that the leader of North Vietnam is no friend of China, this is not a monolithic conspiracy, we should support him. And by the same token, Mao Zedong, and again in this Viennese congressional circle. Mr. Buckley, would you like to add to that? Well, uh, yeah, Ms. Vidal, Ms. Vidal's suggestion that uh, perhaps it would be in our interest to uh, uh, support uh, Ho Chi Minh suggests perhaps also <clears throat> that as a matter of uh, testamentary integrity, uh, I reveal a concrete proposal to that end contained in a letter sent to me by Senator Kennedy about six months ago. Uh, the PS of which was... There's like a, a 50 Senator uh, Kennedys. Which one? My platform for 1968. <laughs> Probably, uh... From let's give blood to the Viet Cong to let's give Gore Vidal to the Viet Cong. <clears throat> May I see that, really? I think, uh, however, that would be uh, immoderate. In any case, uh, <clears throat> uh, I do share... Look, Gore Vidal thinks it's kind of funny. Like, the other guy would have been hell mad. If would have been like, actually, we'll just send you to the Viet Cong. He'd have been like, how oh, dare you? <laughs> Look at him, he's like... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kennedy's uh, uh, notion that Mr. Vidal's uh, uh, idea of how to prosecute the whole situation out there, quite apart from the fact of a congruence of general policy, uh, is marred by his uh, sort of strange fantasies uh, concerning the realisms of politics. I must say, I'm looking at this, <clears throat> what a very curious handwriting. It also slants up, a sign of a manic depressive. <laughs> uh, I did see that. Whether you forged it or not, I don't know, and I will have to have my handwriting experts. The graphologist will have to look at it. Whoa, that guy's psycho. Did you see him? Not since the Dreyfus case, and we had such evidence brought into court. But it's very, very amusing and has nothing to do with the case. The fact that he was writing you letters makes me terribly suspicious of him as a presidential candidate. I will say that. I'm not talking On about the actual fact, you know. 
This is Senator Bobby, Kennedy. Yes, I, yeah. I realize. I recognize mm -hmm. the handwriting. Mm -hmm. So he said, makes, he, he had makes some notes you, about you. Makes me, you yes. suspicious. Yeah, uh -huh. makes me very suspicious mm -hmm. what he might have been like as president. Mm -hmm. But to get back to the plank, uh, while we, it's been fun inspecting your correspondence. But uh, that what matters here is that we have, in a word, lost the war. And I think that that was really well, no. the impression that the McCarthy McGovern people have been trying to give the country. That we must get out of this has cost us a hundred billion dollars. It's cost us. Oh, I wonder was this before Walter Cronkite went on the air and told the American people we lost in Vietnam? Because I think this might have been before that. Because mm. that a lot of people thought that was the end of the Vietnam War when Walter Cronkite got on TV at fucking five o'clock or whatever it was and just basically told everybody that we lost, even though we were totally still there. I don't know if this was before. I think that mm. might have been '69 that he did that. Anyway. The, of Gorvidal's right. We had already lost. Like you, there was no, there was nothing. There was, there was nothing to win in the first place. But we had still managed. We lost. We had lost at this point. <laughs> like there was nothing to win, right? <laughs> like what were we going to win there? Snatch yeah, defeat from the jaws of also defeat. Yes, <laughs> that's the story. The Vietnam story. They uh, are not without point. Now wait a minute. We have nothing to gain by this war. Now wait a minute. Uh, uh, the activity of the United States in in North Vietnam. <clears throat> Uh, cannot be cannot be categorized as genocide uh, by anyone who doesn't accept the postulates of the Communist Party. Their postulates being, of course, that we are interested in killing people for the sake of killing people. The distinction being how many people is it necessary <clears throat> to kill in order to pursue a perfectly legitimate military mission. Uh, a distinction that has been honored during the past a thousand years. But we have not lost the war in Vietnam. Uh, what we have lost uh, is an opportunity to press that war with such weapons as are especially at our disposal. And the reason we haven't uh, is because... Oh, no! Oh, no! Did you hear what he... Such weapons that are especially at our disposal? Oh, yeah, no! Yeah, is he talking about nukes? I mean, he didn't say that, but fucking yikes. I mean, it, it, to even imply that as, like, a serious person... To even imply that as, like, a serious political commentator is insane. Yeah. Holy shit. As we have proceeded schizophrenically, make love to the communists this side of the hemisphere, or hate them and kill them this side of the hemisphere, and this doesn't Well, now, what do you favor? Do you, do, you, do you favor just an all-out war on communism? Using uh, nuclear weapons, know. as you have in the past, uh, on the Chinese uh, nuclear capacity. Have also favored? Yes, indeed. You And something, a marvelous I movement called a, a blow for peace. You came out, you said... Quote, to give a two-hour notice to the Red Chinese that we intend to destroy these nuclear facilities and so give the civilian, military, and scientific population a chance to evacuate the plants, which we will then proceed, pure and simple, to blow up. Yeah, why, this why is the great nuclear, statesman sitting here on my right. That is an act of war. Why with nuclear weapons? I never said with nuclear weapons. No, but yo, you just heavily implied nuclear weapons, if I'm not mistaken, dude. Like, did this very, such yeah. weapons that are, what did he say, not exclusively, that are particularly at our disposal? Yeah, it sounded to me like he was bemoaning the fact that we weren't nuke in Vietnam. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, that is exactly what he was doing. Sounded like that. Or he was essentially saying we could win. All we got to do is nuke them. On another country, you wanted to change what you finished saying a moment ago. I will welcome any. In '68, we were past the event horizon of anybody ever winning a war with a nuclear weapon again. We were past the fucking like nuclear winner event horizon. Yeah, we could have destroyed a huge portion of the world. 
If we had done what this guy wanted to. I favored nuclear bombing Red China, for the record, I did not. I favored, and I favored uh, along, alongside a number of very serious military strategists, a preemptive strike against the nuclear facilities of Red China. You but, then, but even if you use conventional weapons and you drop them on a nuclear facility, you've just created a nuclear bomb. If you intentionally blow up a nuclear facility, there's going to be fucking fallout everywhere. It wouldn't be a nuclear fusion bomb, but it would have the same effect. At least, maybe not for as far out, right? Because the explosion wouldn't be as great. But if you lived within 10 miles of that fucking thing, you would, it wouldn't matter to your, your dead ass whether or not it was a fusion bomb or just a bunch of conventional weapons dropped on a, like a nuclear power plant. It would likely be more radioactive material, though. So it would probably be even more deadly than just blowing up an actual nuclear bomb. And like, yeah, for longer, too, because it would the shit would all be in the ground. Oh, it would be a disaster. Yep. Seriously, it was explored by President John F. Kennedy in the fall of 1963. There was and should be thought of by all serious people who, who, who not only are against the nuclear bomb, uh, in the cafe society, My dear Mr. Buckley, but in the, you are trying to do something about it. If the bad guys have got the nuclear bomb, you, you, you don't you're want both to have much it. better when you don't talk at the same time. Could we take turns? Yes. Well, I would like to well, just pick up that who? point. Yeah. I, I would like to pick up that point. You did indeed want to drop bombs on China, which is a foreign country of enormous size. It is no business of ours, I should think, to begin a Pearl Harbor, give them a Pearl Harbor. You have also advocated the invasion of Cuba and what you call the immediate enactment of the Monroe Doctrine, something I suspect you have never read because the Monroe Doctrine ceased to exist in fact since 1917. Monroe Doctrine, for your information, happened to be dependent upon did your foreign, foreign, powers, foreign powers in the United States in this, this hemisphere were not to be allowed, but by the same token, we would maintain ourselves outside European affairs. We abrogated that by going to the First World War. So in that effect, the Monroe Doctrine does not exist Mr. in this case. It is a laborious job to straighten out history after you've had a couple of sentences go at it. The distinction was that we would not go to Europe except at the invitation of Europe. If you will give me the name of one country in Europe where we are without the invitation of the local government, then I will say that we have violated the equivalent of the Monroe Doctrine. Uh, but the, the Monroe Doctrine is perfectly clear. How do we get out of the war in Vietnam? You have not read it. Yes. The discussions about the plank in Vietnam, how do we get out? Uh, have we really been beaten? The, the answer is that we have not uh, been beaten, Mr. Smith. The answer is that uh, we are negotiating in Paris at this moment uh, because the enemy feels the pressure of a four, five-year effort by uh, the United States and South Vietnam and certain of its Asian allies. It's not there simply because uh, uh, Senator McCarthy uh, got 43,000 votes in New Hampshire. This isn't the way Haiphong works, or Hanoi works. Uh, we can, of course, win the war, but it's going to take How? a concerted uh, effort, and it's going to take the kind of... We'll pull up the next part of that here. This guy is delusional. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> so far, I'm not very. This was like, oh, it's, but it's the same old shit. It's like, if you can just calmly say something completely batshit and you're like a white guy of a certain <laughs> age and stature, like social stature, people are like, oh, that seems reasonable. And we'll know, actually, the part where he 
soft pedaled the idea that we could just solve the problem with nuclear weapons was not rational. Yeah, it would it would cause immense destruction and then huge portions of the world including the u.s right and countries that fucking didn't have nothing to do with it would probably get fucking nuked in the process too god yep. damn lazily incapable of generating uh, as a result of the kind of erosion of purpose to which people like mr Dahl contribute sometimes eloquently sometimes not I still don't see how Mr. Buckley, with his concerted will, thinks that we're going to win a war that we've spent certainly five very aggressive years in losing. We have tried search and destroy, we have dropped more bombs on it than we dropped on Europe in the Second World War. We are getting absolutely nowhere. They have a perfect desire to organize their own country in their own way, and there's no problem with that. Uh, if we turn we are war, in the presence, however, if I may say so, of, I, I would suspect the most war-minded person in the United States, and usually Mr. Buckley doesn't reveal himself as clearly as he has tonight, but indeed he has come out for a preemptive strike against uh, Red China, and that is an act of war. Yeah. No, you came out for it in 1964, December 29th, the National Review. You do write yeah, I, your own I, columns, I said, I said don't Mr. you? Kennedy in 64, <laughs> you do write... It's like asking Sam Harris about the time he said that we could do a like a first strike nuclear attack on like a Muslim nation. We're like, that's not what I said. And the the answer to that is you write your own columns, right? <laughs> Fucking good, good job. A little well, slow. Considered in '63. Right. The difference between consideration and opposing it. The point is, Mr. Dow, uh, that there are those people who are always deploring uh, what ought to have been done back when certain other people were saying it should have been done at that moment. Now, one of these days, you're going to sit around shaking and talking about uh, better red than dead because uh, Red China has a, a hydrogen bomb. And the answer will be, who was it who a few years ago uh, thought that might have been the time, as, for instance, in Munich, uh, to stop appeasement? I don't say that life is going to be completely easy, completely non-dangerous. We are very dangerous. I know that you're very interested in Munich and interested in the past. And of course, He's just assuming that everyone in charge of a country that isn't the United States is just as crazy as him. <laughs> right? It's like, well, you know, we dropped a bomb on somebody, and then after, like, after we obliterated one of their cities for no... F I could see maybe you could try to justify the first bomb we dropped onto japan but that second one uh, no dude we're crazy like yeah <laughs> like we crazy not everyone i recall yeah. well somehow the good judgment of the country maintained itself and well, no, uh here we are today and you were talking in the well, what he's saying is like if we don't strike them first they're gonna strike us and it's like no no one's gonna strike anyone i said we could win I oh but you said good. you will we must said we could, Mr. Vidal. Ah, but you, you don't. don't. Could we or should we? Oh, well, obviously, we should. Aha, uh -huh. well, that's all we needed to know. Now, yeah. here he sits, take a good look at the leading warmonger in the United States. Bill, don't you point your tongue at me now. <laughs> Keep it in your cheek where it belongs. Well, if I'm the leading... Whoa! <laughs> whoa, whoa! Don't stick your tongue out at me. Leave it in your cheek where it belongs. Like, old-timey <laughs> insults were the best. <laughs> yeah. He's just accusing him of not being a serious person. Nope. Then uh, I am to be contrasted with you uh, in the sense in which uh, the majority of the people of the United States, including the leadership of the Democratic Party and the leadership of the Republican Party, belong with me, uh, while you uh, go to Rome 
uh, and uh, expatriate yourself. I do not. Oh, I think, I think we should straighten this yeah. out now. I don't expatriate myself. I have an apartment in Rome, and I go there for two or three months every year to be close to the Vatican and to contemplate William yeah. Buckley and his mad activities back here. And with a new... <laughs> I go to an apartment in the Vatican near the Vatican because I got to get away from William Buckley. A fucking <laughs> dope. <laughs> Published in January of this year in a book, the following statement: Unless the war in Vietnam is renounced by the next elected president of the United States, I see no moral alternative than to renounce my citizenship. Dash Vidal. I think you said shows that we may not have anything to lose at the end of this election. <laughs> it may very well be that all that we can earn is no, our no, conscience. No. I must say it must be mysterious to you to find somebody acting out of a moral principle, but after all, sooner or later, we must all be confronted <laughs> with these uh, Thomas Moore decisions, and I'm sure that you will settle for Wales and I for the Bach. The Encyclopedia of Morality, which constitutes your published work, uh, is hardly my primary source. Do you read? <laughs> Mr. Vidal, would it have been possible for any other president to have behaved differently in a decisive way from the way President Johnson did say in 1965? We have two ex-presidents, one a Republican, one a Democrat, who both say he's right. The dead president said two months before his death that he believed in the domino theory and felt that we should not let South Vietnam fall to the communists. I have a strange feeling that empires have their own built-in dynamism. And you may be right that with the kind of presidents that we tend to have now, who reflect uh, the mood of a country, that it may very well be this empire of ours has been going on since 1899 when we picked uh, Remember the Maine, which was as phony as the Tonkin, Tonkin Gulf Resolution. We've been in the empire business since 1899. We've, we picked a war with Spain. We ended up with the Philippines, which we then liberated against their will and added to our empire. We became a great Pacific power. We tried an invasion of Canada. We tore Are you from Mexico. Are you with all of history? I think you, would, you could learn a great deal. I know, and not at the end of it, And at the end of it, we are now on the mainland of Asia. And I think, to be perfectly bleak and to be perfectly blunt, I think we're headed for total disaster, this empire, with people like Mr. Buckley here beating the drum. And I think the instinct of the people, I used to think, was for peace. I think it now I come back and I see the little American flags on the antenna of the car. They're That's getting ready for a war. They're getting ready for war. So I think probably Lyndon Johnson is simply an agent of nature. That the empire is getting to a point that there's going to be a blow-up, which you can say overpopulation, the ecological balance of the planet is upset, the food supply is endangered. This is so I think there is war coming. Mr. Smith, this is a recurrent phenomenon. People like to sort of mas massage their world weariness and tell us how everything is going to the dogs. And it, there's a curious coincidence about the fact that it's always going to the dogs because we don't do what they tell us to do. Now, uh, I don't know how robust uh, America is, but I'm sure it's robust enough to survive crises in the future. I don't remember any time uh, during the past 20 years when we haven't heard the scare talk. America has about six months left to go. And the, answer, the answer is that we have, I think, more than that left to go. Though I do think that there are signs to worry about, but a collection of that kind of syndrome is there. Uh, not uh, in the Democratic platform of tonight. I must say, uh, six months ago, Richard Nixon was the last person to do that in the 19, uh, I think it was 1956 election. He said, we have one month to save America, said Richard Nixon. <laughs> and we saved it, didn't we? We got Eisenhower, we got Eisenhower whom you highly disapproved of. You thought he well, was How do you know he wouldn't have saved it if we hadn't voted for Eisenhower? Ah, uh, we, I did. Were we saved? No, I don't.
I, uh, let me ask you about another part of the uh, Democratic platform, which isn't being debated. The Democrats are in favor of law and justice, where the Republicans are in favor of law and order. Is there any distinction? Well, there is, there is a metaphysical distinction, which I'm sure has not been observed by the people who formulated uh, the policies. Uh, a, a state, uh, as defined uh, in the liberal idea, uh, is not a state which accepts justice as its primary goal for the reason that elementary distinctions were made uh, uh, millennia ago uh, between the city of God and the city of man. Now, I grant that the rhetoric of the Democratic Party sometimes seems to give us the impression that it is ushering in the city of God, except that God is unconstitutional. Uh, but uh, 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 given that, it seems to be trying to go in that direction. The Republican emphasis on law and order is, in my judgment, perhaps for accidental reasons, in closer congruity to the limited aspirations uh, of a constitution of a free republic. I think Mr. Buckley has very fairly stated, as usual, the viewpoint of the Daughters of the American Revolution. Uh, in actual fact, the Democratic Party is a little bit ahead of the Republican Party on this particular issue, but the metaphysical uh, point, as Mr. Buckley would say, really is between what do you think about having a strong federal government as opposed to a strong local government? And this is a legitimate and a continuing debate. I would only give you this reminder that without a strong federal government, no school would have even begun to be integrated in the South. There never would have been a pure drug and food act. While we were down there in Miami, I noticed that the, uh, what was it, the Florida Power and Light Company I was going to put an atomic reactor in Biscayne Bay, which would have cooked all the fish. Now, the local chamber of commerce was a marvelous idea, because anything for money. And the Department of the Interior... Stopped. I don't think that a, a nuclear reactor would have cooked all the fish. I think he was either engaged in hyperbole or wrong. I'm willing to believe it was the second, actually. That's American. Would probably have allowed this. I say that the federal government must act on certain great issues. Did you follow that one, Smith? He may have been being hyperbolic because you know the one of the waste products of a nuclear plant is warm water and warm water could have ecological damage to fish populations in a river or a lake yeah maybe <clears throat> i'm also willing to i'm willing to entertain the idea that he's just wrong yeah, I, I don't actually know because I don't know the details of it. No, I think I, I'm in favor of killing sharks in Biscayne Bay for profit. Is that right? No, but you have serious people. Oh, Bill, Bill, Desiree, your people are. And the terrible thing about it is that absolutely nothing would ever be done at a local level on something like integrated. You think there would be one integrated school well, in the we, South before, without the Supreme Court decision? Well, before we had a before we had a strong central government, we had a civil war. The purpose of which was to free the slaves. So I think that good things can happen even without the uh, federal government. The federal government, which incidentally, <laughs> all of the Democrats are busy apologizing for at this moment. You may have noticed uh, uh, in the platform, they're all saying uh, uh, we've got to retreat, as Senator Kennedy was saying. We've got to retreat from the idea that the federal government can do uh, uh, everything. And Nobody has said the, the federal, federal government can do anything. that we conservatives have been saying for quite a while. No, they, as a matter of fact, this year's liberal rhetoric has fallen into a conservative trap that we must get private enterprise, that great machine of American virtue, as Richard Nixon said, this alone can help us in the ghettos with the Negroes. Well, private enterprise won't. They'll get the tax cut he promised them. 
And that'll be the last we hear, because they are there to make money, not, not, not to do... Don't you understand, Mr. Nadal, that the making uh, of money uh, is, according to systems discovered 300 years ago with the beginning of economic liberty, a way of helping people, because it is a way of making goods available to people at a cheaper price. Uh, Henry Ford made a lot of money, but he also reduced the price of cars from five thousand dollars to five hundred bucks. Got it? Got it? I would <laughs> well, say offhand. I think uh, this is the last go. remark. Can you do it in one line? I would yes, just simply in one line that it has been a great pleasure to observe America's leading hawk and great heart with his enormous compassion. Don't stick your tongue out, Bill. Once again, in action. That was a long line. We must break it off there, and we'll continue tomorrow night. <laughs> And uh, we have the third part, but uh, so far it's it's pretty good. Um, <clears throat> the audio and video have been kind of bad on it, but it is from 1968. Um, if mm -hmm. I would have had more time, I would have probably gone up, gone through, and cleaned up the audio. But there would have been nothing I can do about the clipping and popping that was going on. Uh, somebody in chat had said, you know, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had conversations like this today? And I actually think the problem with possibly having conversations like this today is somebody like William Buckley would never talk to somebody like Gore Vidal with a moderator in these, in, in our times, they would say, they might say the person comes in bad faith. Yeah. Um, we kind of do have these conversations every once in a while. And then the conservative learns that they shouldn't have those conversations because they look bad. Well, not in every case, but, it just depends on the, the subject matter and whatnot. But the other thing is like <clears throat> we, the version of this that kind of carried forward is this, what uh, I call it civility porn where it's like civility above substance almost. So like the civility of it was good. But the other thing is that this is backed up by substance and that both of these people are actually saying what they mean where today we end up in these kinds of conversations, maybe where the civility is almost the goal of the conversation and, Maybe nobody says exactly what they mean or whatever. And then you end up with like J the Joe Rogan show or the Sam Harris show, which is like kind of a shitty facsimile of the thing that we're watching right now. Mm -hmm. So we're going to watch. We got part three and part four to get through. Um, this The pod may run a little longer than usual, but I think we'll still get it in under 90 minutes for the podcast part. And to our two guest commentators, William Buckley and Gore Vidal, and to ask them... Uh, went black and white this time. ...they've made about the security that we uh, have seen all week. And leftist audio. And the events tonight on... By that I mean the left channel. ...on this uh, convention <laughs> hall. Uh, is, who is first? Mr. Vidal first. I think uh, there's very little that we can say after those pictures. That would be in any way adequate. It's like living under a Soviet regime here, the guards, the soldiers, the agents provocateur on the parts of the police you've seen, the roughing up. The background of it is that, uh, that they came here for a rally on the 25th of August at Convention uh, Soldier Field, a coalition for an open convention. They were denied the use of the field. It was a friendly, a nonviolent demonstration. Uh, as a rule, the press is uh, on the side of the police, but this time the police have seriously injured some 21 newsmen, and the press has, of course, reacted. And on top of that, television is duly upset with Mayor Daly for other reasons. I'd just like to point out that picking up a newspaper at random on my way here, the Chicago Daily News, as a columnist called Mike Royko, 
who says Thomas E. Ferran, the U.S. attorney, says Chicago police have shown, quote, wonderful discipline in their handling of the Lincoln Park demonstrators. Ferran is either stupid or a liar, or maybe he's been wandering around in the wrong park. Chicago's police, for his information, have been beating innocent people with, to coin a phrase, reckless abandon. And he goes on to say that the biggest threat to law and order in the last week has been the Chicago Police Department. On an inside page here, we have one of the grisliest pictures I've seen in some time. It shows a group of police standing and laughing as they have thrown into the water a young man on a bicycle. And the, note, and the caption is, the witnesses said the police then just stood back and laughed. The youth reportedly had just been riding through the park. He had not even been part of the hippie gathering. I wonder if we can let Mr. Buckley comment now for a short while. The distinctions to be made, Mr. Smith, are... He's all Antifa, Antifa is violent. ...are these. Number one, <laughs> uh, do we have enough evidence to indict a large number of individual Chicago policemen? It would seem from what Mr. Burns showed us that... Uh, we do. Oh shit! The, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! That's surprising. Did you hear him just say that it seems like we have sufficient evidence to indict a number of police officers? Uh, he said it seems, from what Mister Vidal is saying, we do. Right. Yeah. So maybe he's about to. We'll see. Maybe he's about to barf all over this cake he just baked. <laughs> I mean, you ever seen a cake that you felt like barfing on? <laughs> when when the icing is like just that sugar shit, you're like, oh god. Your program tonight, <laughs> but during the past two or three days in Chicago, has been to institutionalize this complaint, uh, so as to march forward and say that in effect we have got a police state going here. We've got a sort of a fascist situation. One one young man approached me last night and said, "Are you aware that Mayor Bailey is a fascist?" Uh, to which my reply was no. And if that is the case, uh, why didn't John Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy, whose favorite mayor he was, indict him uh, as such? Uh, and teach it's actually not illegal to be a fascist, that's why. Fascist. The point is that uh, policemen uh, violate their obligations just the way uh, politicians do. If we could all work up an equal sweat, and if you all would be obliging enough to have your cameras handy, uh, every time a politician commits demagogy or passes along a graph for bribes, or every time a businessman cheats on his taxes, uh, or every time a labor union beats up people who refuse to join his unions, then maybe we could work up some kind of impartiality and resentment. As of this but we are supposed to, like, well, all those things you described are crimes. We are supposed to have some kind of impartiality where if you fucking break the law... Somebody comes a knock in like we are supposed to have that. What is he? Like, I don't understand what he's talking about. But the, the other difference yeah. here is the police have like <clears throat> the force of the state behind them as a function of being the police. Say, go after those cops who are guilty of unnecessary brutality. Develop your doctrine of security. Unnecessary, what, what, unnecessary brutality. I, 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 have, I would suggest to you that the police shouldn't brutalize the public that when you don't have as many cops as you should have had for instance in dallas in november of 1963 you don't go and criticize the fbi for not having been there for not having taken sufficient security measures but don't do what's happening here in chicago tonight which is to infer uh, from individual and despicable acts of violence a case for implicit totalitarianism in the american system 
Mr. Vidal. That was essentially the not all cops are bad. Right, right. Answer. <laughs> not it's like almost not all men, not all this, not all that. We nobody nobody thinks that every cop in Chicago was pounding skulls. It's the same it's the same thing is that like well, great. When the bad cops doing the bad stuff, the good cops supposed to be there to fucking stop them. Where the fuck's the good cop? Like, yeah. <laughs> issue was, of course, go after the bad cops. There and guess what? If that well cop isn't stopping him, he's also a bad cop. A constitutional issue, and this is going to be repeated across the country. We have the right, according to our constitution, of freedom of assembly. And if you want to hold a meeting for a peaceful purpose to demonstrate, you have that right. That right was abrogated by Mayor Daley, by his administration, by the uh, Cook County Sheriff Joseph Woods. These people came here with no desire other than anybody has ever been able to prove than to hold peaceful demonstrations. I can prove it. How can you prove it? Uh, very easily, by citing the recorded words of uh, Mr. Hayden of the SDS, uh, of Mr. Rennie Davis of the Coordinating Committee, whose object has been to, quote, break down uh, the false and deceptive institutions of bourgeois democracy uh, sufficient to set in a revolutionary order. Anybody who believes that these characters are interested in the democratic process is deluding himself. I was 14 windows above that gang last night. These sweet little girls with their sun-decked dresses that we heard described a moment ago, and the chat between 11 o'clock and 5 o'clock in this morning from four or 5,000 voices uh, was sheer utter obscenities directed at the President of the United States, at the mayor uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of this city, uh, plus also the intermittent refrain, quote. So, like... <laughs> Key's problem with the protests is that they were th like that. I was in my hotel room and I overheard impolite things. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's not yeah. what he said, but it's sort of like, come on, dude. Like, oh man. Uh, ho, ho, ho. It, it's kind of like what they said about uh, Colin Kaepernick when he took the knee. It's like, no, you're not supposed to protest that way. That offends me. Right. Like, <clears throat> Protest within the law is actually designed to piss piss people off and like to shake things up. Whether or not you agree with the tactics or whatever, if you're not shaking things up and getting a reaction from the community, then what the fuck are you even protesting for? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, Ho Chi Minh, the NLF is sure to win. This is their way of accosting American society concerning their brothers, their sisters, their uncles, uh, their fathers who are being shot at uh, by an enemy to which, wrongly or rightly, nevertheless, we are fighting. I say it is remarkable uh, that there was as much restraint shown as was shown, for instance, last night uh, by cops who were out there for 17 hours without inflicting Ooh, that's a... Their job on a single person. They could have been, they could have been a baker. Disgusting stuff is being thrown at them and at all of American society. Our reporter, Jim Burns, said there ought to be a different way to handle situations like that. I wish he would invent it. Why don't you ask him next time, maybe tomorrow, to tell us how to handle it? Because I'm sure the Republican Party and the Democratic Party would form a joint platform which would suggest how to do it. Every time we develop an instrument like MACE, for instance, uh, the purpose of which is actually to, to stop a situation when the law is on the side of stopping it without rendering permanent injury, that everybody goes hog mad at its use. What are we in fact supposed to use when they break law and order as handed down by judges? Uh, the, the right, also, like, right you can't hear this on the pod, and there's going to be a lot more people that download the pod by fucking several orders of magnitude. 
I think they fucked up this guy's earpiece because he keeps having, like, Buckley keeps having to push his earpiece back in, and that's, like, distracting. I think they fucked his earpiece up. To assembly is not absolute. The Supreme Court has ruled several occasions. Let Mr. Vidal have a chance. Uh, the right of assembly is in the Constitution, in not the Bill of right. Rights. Nothing on earth is absolute. Right. We live in a relativist right. world. Right. However, it is the law, it is the Constitution, and uh, let us have no more. Uh, sly comments in your capacity as the enemy of the people. Uh, by the way, you got an invitation this afternoon I haven't passed on to you from Norman Mailer, our mutual friend who was out there, as was I on Monday night. And he said, you tell Buckley to come out here. He might be very interested to see how his beloved police are behaving. How was that? They are, you know... You no, you were in a hotel room fucking 15 floors up looking down and being like, oh, how gauche. I heard a bad word and it made me offended. Yeah, he wasn't there. If you're, if you're, even if you're three stories up, you're not there. Unless they like raid the hotel or like mob the hotel, then like that's real bad. Sure, I don't believe yeah. you were there. And furthermore, when you start quoting Tom Hayden uh, and the other leaders of the new left who were involved in this, I suggest you get the quotes right. They are talking about revolution. They are not talking about bloody civil war, yeah. as you would indicate. Yeah, yeah. Well, until you get the exact quotes, you're, you're well-known. All you do is violate the law. You're distortion. And, and leave it to It is no violation the of the law to it, freely demonstrate, nah, as you well minute, know. Now, nah, wait a minute. The law is not something that you make up. No, it's uh, something it, in the Constitution yeah, that you can not interpret. They came here for free assembly. They came here to demonstrate against the Vietnam War, which you happen to love. I'm sorry for that. They have not been allowed to hold a meeting in Soldier Field, which they should have had, could have had, would have had a peaceful demonstration. Instead, the police, fired by Mayor Daly and by a lot of jingos around here, have been roughing up everybody from the press to the delegates to the kids out there, uh, and you are to sit here yeah. by and talk about the order. Well, I'm going to talk to you about the, what the Supreme Court says, including Oliver Wendell Holmes, whom presumably you also despise. But the first relevant decision 110 years ago says uh, that the demands of rights of assembly are not absolute in the sense that, for instance, uh, there is no obligation on the part of the city of Chicago to allow all these people to come into this amphitheater and demonstrate. And I actually agree with that. <clears throat> you have the right to protest in on public land. Otherwise, you're trespassing. Yeah. And so, like, if they wanted to do their protest at Soldier Field, and that's the city's property, I know a lot of people think city property and public property are the same thing, but it's actually not. Um, because they could, otherwise they would be unable to ever kick you out of the courthouse if you're causing a disturbance and that would be a problem. Um, so I actually agree with Buckley here, but I also think maybe it would have been a better idea, of course, in hindsight to maybe let the people have their demonstration at the, at the soldier field, which was not right in front of where the convention was, but they didn't, they didn't, they didn't know how it was going to shake. Nobody knew how it was going to shake out beforehand, but it was a fucking shit show. Uh, even if they're not allowed to be on the land, uh, it doesn't mean that cops should brutalize them. This wasn't that far out from the civil rights movement, so the, you know, fire hoses and shit. You know. That you cannot uh, arrange a demonstration in such a way as to interfere with other people's freedoms. Uh, Mr. Burns admitted a moment ago that these people were uh, interrupting the freedoms of people to cross the street, for instance. Freedom of the people to cross they the street. They were given a license to demonstrate at, that at a particular, particular moment. However, when they were in the parks on Monday night when I observed them, I watched the police come in like this from all directions, standing. 
They were sitting there singing folk songs. There were none of the obscenities which your ear alone seems to have picked up. They were absolutely... Oh, I don't like this saying they weren't swearing. Come on, Gore Vidal. You should be like, dude, <laughs> yeah, they were swearing. These are adults. They can swear. Well behaved. And suddenly the police began. You'd see one little stirring up in one corner. Then you'd suddenly see a bunch of them coming in with their nightclubs. And may I say, without their badges, which Mr. is illegal. Mr. Vidal, wasn't it a provocative act to try to raise the Viet Cong flag in the park in the film we just saw? Uh, that's, you have every right to do that. Raising a Nazi flag in World War II would have had similar consequences. You, must uh, you have every right to do both of those things. Um, but I would suggest that those things are qualitatively different. Yep. Realize what some of the political issues are here. That many so people in the United States uh, happen to believe that the United States policy is wrong in Vietnam, and the Viet Cong are correct in wanting to organize their country in their own way politically. This happens to be pretty much the opinion of Western Europe and many other parts of the world. If it is a novelty in Chicago, that is too bad. But I assume that the point of the American democracy and is you can express to any point of view you want. Shut up a minute. No, I won't. And some people shut up a minute. <laughs> that's that's me right there. That'd be me. Like that's that's me. And I think one of the reasons I like Corvidal is that eventually he's just like, no, shut up a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the next the next fucking segment, it, it goes fuck it. Uh uh-uh. uh. The next segment is, is that they were they were well treated by people who ostracized them, and I'm for ostracizing people who egg on other people to shoot American Marines and American soldiers. Wait, what? I know you don't but there's a war going on there. Wait a minute. No, egging on people. Oh, you know what? The fucking our enemy at war wouldn't have actually shot at the Marines if somebody in a park didn't raise a flag. Get the fuck out of here. There was a war happening. People are like at that time, somebody was shooting at somebody. There was a war. They didn't be like, hold on, wait till you see the flag in the park. Like, no, that's absurd. <laughs> There's a whole fucking war going on. People, the, 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 the shooting at the Marines thing, the ship had sailed and the Marines have ships. Not as many as the Navy, but. Concerned, the only pro-crypto uh, Nazi yeah. I can think of is yourself. Uh, Failing that, I would only let's say that we names. can't have now listen, you the right of the assembly. Oh, oh. Failing that, let's, I would let's, only let's say that we names. can't have now listen, you the right of the assembly. Did you hear him? Did you say, now listen, you queer? He certainly did. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> oh. Back then, it wasn't like it hadn't been appropriated yet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For anybody listening, if you're if you're unaware, the word was a slur in the 60s. Yep. Hey, crypto let's, let's stop calling names. Let's you in your goddamn face. And you'll stay plastered, gentlemen. Let's oh, Bill. Let 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 me he just challenged him to a fight. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> and look at Vidal's like I'll I'll I'll, I'll okay. I can go back to his pornography and stop making any illusions of nationalism to somebody you. who was Whoa. in the last war. You were not a damn country, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody's triggered. Mr. Vidal, what Yeah, he, he is. His short fuse is, has gone off. What the United States is doing? It is not a provocative act. You have every right in this country to, to take any position you want to take because we are guaranteed freedom of speech. We've just listened to a, a rather certain a grotesque example. Now, let's not talk at the same time, Mr. Buckley. Certain acts that are lawful are nevertheless provocative. I'll give you an example. George Lincoln Rockwell wanted to go uh, to uh, Manhattan in a stage a hate Jew rally, see? 
No, you, no, you, you have every right to yeah. do that. The, the thing about that is that like, you're not, you're not going to get a good response in New York City for that. Some people, the American Civil Liberties Union, said, well, uh, George Lincoln Rockwell has got a right to go there under the Constitution. Uh, all right, theoretically, he has a right, but there is no question that it would have been provocative. I, for one, uh, have to confess that I, I would have been uh, discreetly on the side of people who threw tomatoes and maybe something even a little tougher at George Lincoln Rockwell. Now, here's an example of a, a brick. A right, what do you mean? Uh, wait, throwing tomatoes at somebody just means their comedy sucks. Go to Manhattan uh, and come out in favor of Buchenwald. I think that the whole point of the American system is, and this is something that a lot of people don't understand. This guy is just like super violent. Society is because like, I feel like he's just a sociopath. We exclude genocide. We exclude class hatred. We ought to exclude it. And whether it's fighting a Maddox here uh, or fighting people who come out in favor of, the, of, Ho, of Ho Chi Minh uh, in Lincoln Park, the whole purpose of American society is that we're in favor of people who want to be free, not in favor of people who want to despise anybody else or commit America to genocidal policy. Mr. Vidal, you... Uh, what more to say on the subject? What? I think we've seen uh, Is there not passions a... of Mr. Buckley on this issue, the infantry warrior, which uh, he never saw shot fired in anger. I would point out that uh, I come back, you keep asking me, Howard, about this provocative act. There are many acts which provoke, but if you're going to have freedom of assembly and freedom of speech, you must be able to say it. That is the whole point of this country. No. And once this is abrogated, then I think we might just as well stop these wars of freedom. We, what are we doing fighting in Vietnam if you cannot freely express yourself in the streets of Chicago? I think, uh, I think we've run out of time, and I uh, thank you very much for the discussion. There was a little more heat and a little less light than usual, but uh, it was still very worth hearing. I actually think that was the last one. I think I got it wrong there um, because I, rem I remember checking this out back in the day when I was looking at it and three and four were the same. That was the end of it. They cut it off after mm. that for obvious reasons um, at the, at the end there, like <clears throat> back in the day, like calling somebody a queer was not like the same thing as like talking about the queer community today. It just, it simply was not. Um, and that, yeah, that, it was used as an insult, right? Well, it was, particularly like a slur like you calling somebody stupid is an insult like a slur is like you know it has the like the weight of the power structure generally is how i like would like draw um yeah. a distinction between an insult and a slur or whatever um so that was a interesting a little off the beaten path huh hk yeah uh i really enjoyed seeing that and fuck william buckley Fuck that William guy, Bu that guy is, was hopefully was an asshole. Yeah, he's still, he's he. I think they, I think they both passed like approximately ten years ago, something like that. Okay, and that's a uh, you know about appropriate for like the age they were when they had the debate and stuff. So they both lived yeah. a long life. I hope that uh, Mr. Vidal lived lived a better life than Mr. Buckley, but that's just you know my own personal biases here. Um, and I just liked when he was, when he, when he said, Oh, you know, I would punch you or something. And Vidal just hella calmly said, okay, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> it was very calm. I don't know who would have won the fight. I mean, I'm glad they didn't like that would have been bad if they would have just had a brawl right there on national TV. 
Yeah. Um, I think personally that Buckley just looked absolutely fucking terrible in that interview. It, it looked like he had super thin skin. Yeah, he didn't like. He didn't like. Didn't like some of the facts, and he didn't like any of the character assessments that were being. Uh, any character assessments and any like calls back to things he had done in the past. Those things seem to fluster him. Yep. And <clears throat> if you could imagine that sort of is one of the things we talk about on this show <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. I would say he's more violent than, uh, than the kind of people who we usually cover, uh, like the IDW people. Uh, but, I think uh, hasn't hasn't Eric said some like kind of violent things? Jordan Peterson is the one who's like I'd slap. Remember when he somebody said, "Oh, you call me a fascist, I'd slap you happily." Oh, okay. And then he also said something yeah. like just this last week about how like oh you know something about oh you know. I'd fight you or whatever. And I like posted something about like, I would very much like this person to assault me <laughs> because one, I'd get to defend myself and two, I'd get to file a civil suit and then I'd get to build an even better new studio. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was good. I'm glad we covered it. And I think like going back in time sometimes is really important. The other times we've gone back in time was one of our best episodes. I think was the David Miscavige interview going back yeah. to the early nineties. Yep. And I don't think you were here for it. I think me and a uh, historian, Matt actually did it. We watched some propaganda uh, from the John Birch society. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was here for the David Miscavige one, uh, John Birch society. I don't think I was, but just kind of looking back through sort of this, these kinds of <clears throat> like in intellectualized, uh, movements that I think are like kind of hateful or, want to take rights away from people or want to control people just looking back through them. And when, when this kind yeah. of stuff is given, like in as, uh, Alex from the Q origins project called it academic window dressing is looking back and seeing how it's nothing new. And, uh, you yep. know, we've always been dealing with it and, you know, we'll always be accused as, you know, people of our general disposition of being too rude, too mean, you know, whatever you want to say, coming in bad faith, any any of that kind of stuff we're always going to be accused of that and we need to just kind of let that wash over us because it's usually not the sub the subject matter at hand usually isn't how rude is gay dave yeah anyway you want to read us out hk all right so we do the show every wednesday at 7 p.m pacific except when it's so hot that we have to wait until 9 p.m pacific uh Check out our other shows at complexmedia.com. We have a tech show called How the Tech Are You, where we talk about the tech news that may have slipped through the cracks. Uh, so you might like checking that out. That one's on YouTube as well. Uh, and check out The Plex on Sundays. Uh, check out Local Love on... Uh, that's Mondays, right? Local Love is Tuesday. Oh, Local Love's on Tuesday. Don't worry, you don't have to go through all the shows. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, check out our other shows. They're all listed on echoplexmedia.com. Uh, support us on patreon.com slash echoplex or right here on Twitch where you can subscribe. Uh, you can throw bits at us. 
we would love it. And uh, as always, we're going to end the show with Boomers by Periscope. And we'll see you if you're watching live on the other side for Red Light.
can't get enough Echoplex and want to keep the conversation going with the hosts and community when we're not live, then join our Discord server at discord.me slash Echoplex. We have text channels, voice channels, meme repositories, and a whole section of screenshots that we don't even remember where they came from. Come join the Now Space on Discord at discord.me slash Echoplex.